If you have a Bible or if you don't have a Bible, we'll provide with you on the screen this morning. Really quickly, uh, just a reminder, uh, we need help this after we're done breaking down. Uh, if you're a guest or you're visiting with us, we, 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 we will gladly allow you to watch. We do not expect you to help. In fact, we would prefer if you don't help. We want to hear to serve, but if I could get some that would help, take up the chairs, the carpets, and all of this, and we need to get this packed back up uh, after we are done. Praise God. Mark chapter 2, and beginning in verse number 1, Mark 2, beginning in verse number 1, and, he, and again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. God bless you, you can be seated. I'm going to continue reading. I'm going to catch some of you up on your Bible reading today since you haven't probably read all week. Verse 2, immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive him, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they that came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was Lying. When Jesus saw their faith, everybody see their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that their reasoning Thus within themselves he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk? But to you, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. There's a lot of things today that I want to point out in this passage of Scripture. But the first thing I want that really jumps out at me when I read this, and there is a, a lot of backstory to this that, that needs to be explored, but for time's sake I don't have the time to go through all of it. But the first thing that really jumps out at me is, is that Jesus always deals with the spiritual before He deals with the natural. That Jesus addressed the spiritual problem before he addressed the physical problems. Most of the time in our lives, we want it the other way around. We want God to fix our, our natural world and then get around to fixing our spiritual world. We want God to make everything around us comfortable and ease and answer all of our prayers. And when that happens, then we'll get down to dealing with the spiritual. But most of the time, can I be honest, what you're dealing with on the outside and how you're dealing with that is a symptom of how you're handling things on the inside. Because today, it's not the problem that's the issue, but it's how you view and how you deal with the problem that's the issue. Because all of us in this place are going to go through problems. You can't go to church enough. You can't pray enough. You can't sing enough. You can't fast enough. You can't read your Bible enough to make yourself insulated from any problem. God doesn't hand out insurance plans. And Jesus addresses 
the spiritual problem first. Because if we go back, we understand that there's something that Jesus is trying to convey to us that, that we sometimes forget. Go to Luke chapter 10, verse number 17. It says this, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give unto you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Wait a minute. I, I, this verse, I've preached on this verse a while back, but this verse still is amazing to me. He just said that he's going to give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and nothing shall harm you, that you are going to have power over the enemy. But he said, don't rejoice in that. But yet rejoice in this. That's your name. Oh, apparently I got some people that forgot where their name's written. That your name is written in heaven. You can rejoice on the fact that on this earth he can answer prayer. But whether or not he ever never answers another prayer that I pray, I can rejoice in the fact that today that I stand in a higher calling and a higher purpose, that my name is written in heaven. We're going to get back to the story in just a second, but, but what does that mean that's written in heaven? What is Jesus referring to? He's referring to the fact that there's a book. Jesus calls it the book of life. In fact, during that period of time, archaeologists have uncovered all the way back to Mesopotamia, which is the cradle of civilization. They uncovered a, a old, an ancient city, and in the ancient city they found two books. And these books are two tablets, really. And, and one was called the Tablet of Destiny, and the other was called the Tablet of Transgression. And on these tablets were written names. And your access to the city was determined on which name, which tablet your name was on. And the way you got your name on one tablet on the other is through your works or your actions. It wasn't how you were born. It wasn't based on your family how much money you had. But what you did determined if you were on the tablet of transgression or the tablet of destiny. And your citizenship in that city was determined by those tablets. So in that context, Jesus said, Revelation 20, and I saw great, this is John writing, and I saw great, verse 11, and I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose faith the earth, heaven fled away, and there was found no place from, for him. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. The Amplified Bible says that last phrase, that is everything done while on earth. That in this book there are things written on it that are based off what we do on this earth. Now before you panic, there's good news. Because i got to be honest with you, there's some stuff I do and have done that I hope is not in that book. There's some stuff in there that I hope you never find out that was in that book. But you see, there is no eraser, there is no whiteout, and there is no delete button more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Because you and I, who are covered by His blood, when we get to that book and it's written and it's opened up, it won't see the things and the mistakes we made. Because if we're able to stand before God and say, God, I'm a sinner, but I need your grace and your mercy and your blood to wash me, that has been erased out of the book. But you know what? It goes even further. Revelation 17 says this, the beast, verse 8, the beast that thou sawest was and is not shall ascend to the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Whoa, time out. Now I know that's a negative sentence. We're going to turn it around. Whose names were not. Everybody say were not. But were not written in the book from the foundation of the world. So if they're not written in the book, I'm in the book. Because according to the Word of God, I've done what's necessary to get in the book. But according to the Word of God, my name has been in that book from the foundation. Wait a minute. I was born not too long ago. The world's been going around the sun for a while now. How is my name in that book from the foundation? It don't make sense from my perspective. Shouldn't my name be in that book from the moment I did what the Bible said I needed to do to get in the book? That's when my name was put in the book? Doesn't work that way. Because i got to, give me just a minute. In the time of Jesus, there were three different, some of you have heard me teach this, give me just a moment. There were three types of citizens. There were slaves, there were freed men, F-R-E-E-D, freed men, and there were free men. Three different types. The only people that were free were people that were born free. Because it was common in that period of time that a slave could buy their freedom or be set free by their master. But if you were a slave and you were set free or you bought your freedom, you did not become a free man, but you became a freed man. A freed man and a free man were not the same. Because you see, a free man was a full citizen and had every right of citizenship. And even though a freed man was no longer a slave, he could not ascend to the place of a free man. And because of that little D at the end of freed, he always carried the stain of his slavery. And the law stated that even though you were free from your master, you still abided under the house of the one in which you were a slave to. That even though you were free, you still carry the name and you still carry the the house in which you were enslaved to. The only way you can get out of that was to become a free man. Slight problem. You couldn't become a free man if you were once a slave. The only way you could ever change that was you had to go back in time and never be a slave. Or if you were born enslaved, you got to go all the way back to the beginning and erase your history and be born again. But Jesus said, He who the Son has set free is free indeed. There are two words in that sentence that look the same in our English. Free. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. There is a slight problem. There are two different words. 
Because Jesus, who was talking to a group of people that day, in the crowd when he made that statement, that were slaves that had been set free or were current slaves and understood what that meant. When he said to them, he who the Son has set free is free indeed. What he was really saying is, he who the Son has set free, F-R-E-E, is free indeed, meaning you're not a freed man, you're a free man. You said, what's the big deal? It's a huge deal. Because you see, if I'm a freed man, I'm still identified from what I came out from. And I still live under the bondage of what used to have me bound. I may not have changed this morning, but I came out of a house that had chained me. I may not have the stigma of slavery because I've been out of the house, but I still was once a slave. But Jesus said, it's not good enough that I'm just going to make you and keep you and save you from being a slave. But I'm going to go farther. I'm going to go all the way back to the very foundation in which all this was built. And when your name gets put in that book, your name in that book takes you all the way back. It doesn't take you back to the beginning of your birth. It doesn't take you back to Calvary. It takes you all the way back to the very beginning where you were born. And when you were born, you weren't born a slave. You weren't born a slave to sin. But when you become a child of God and your name's in that book, you're a free man. You're a free man. It doesn't matter what you came out of. It doesn't matter the junk in the pit that God found you, it doesn't matter what you were enslaved to, when Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. I'm thankful for the testimonies that are in this place of what God has saved, saved you out of. But remember the words of Paul, such were some of you. I'm not that anymore because when my name got in that book, it released me from my old past and now I've got a new name and a new destination and a new history. Now you can choose whether or not you're going to live under that old stigma, but the Bible says that whose name is written in that book goes all the way back to the foundation. So Jesus always addresses the spiritual before he addresses the natural. But I want to go a little deeper here today, if you would. I'm not going to be very long, so don't panic. But I've often found it for me, my own personal way of, 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 of looking at things. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm different in some ways, and I, I do things a little differently. But I've always, when we read the pages of Scripture, and we read the story there, it doesn't really give us a lot of, uh, a description of this man. It just says he was a, a paralytic. One, one, one translation says he was a man of, of the palsy, meaning that he had, he had lost the power or sensation of motion. He had lost the power of most motion or he had lost sensation. I've often tried to get into the mind of that man, what it must have been like to be him. The Bible referenced the fact that he was carried in on his bed because he couldn't walk, because he didn't have sensation in parts of his body, that means he was confined, his entire life was confined to that mat. His entire world was confined to that. 
That's what defined him. That's what kept him. He, was, he wasn't able to get out of that position. That's where he was. And in fact, it was to the point that, that he must have been on it so much, they actually carried him. He couldn't have weighed that much. Why don't they just say two guys, put them on their back, let's go. But the fact is they carried him on that mat because you see, if it was greater than just the healing, they would have carried him. But I think there was something trying to get conveyed to us that the fact that it referenced that he brought his bed as well. Because you see, a lot of us in here today have a mat. A lot of us in here today, we have a mat. We have things that define us. We have things that keep us bound. And notice what his condition was. Loss of sensation and loss of power to move. His mat was defined by his inability to feel certain things and to do certain things. That's why he was on that mat. Because there are certain things in us. There are certain events. There are certain difficulties. There are certain ways that people have treated us. Or we have gone through things that cause us to lose certain sensations. Why do we do that? Because we begin to shut off certain areas of our life. Because it's too painful to go down those roads. And we begin to shut off these things and we begin to lose the ability to feel and to be, have sensitivity in certain areas because it becomes our protection. Not only that, but he, had, he didn't have the power of motion. He didn't have the power to move. Meaning, even if he wanted to get up, he couldn't do it. And there are some of you today that in your desire to change, you've wanted to change, but you don't have the power within yourself to change. And thus you feel trapped in the situation you're in. And you feel trapped on that mat. And you can't get past where you were. So your life is defined by that mat. Whatever that mat is today, only you know. You see, the problem is, is that we've become experts at hiding our mat. We're experts at that. You know, some of you today, you would never know that you have a mat. But oh, you've got a mat. You just keep it hidden. You roll it up and put it in your pocket when you come in here. But you've got a mat. But you see, the problem is, somewhere in your life, your mat's going to be revealed. Somewhere in your life, there's going to be a situation. There's going to be a relationship. You know what? Marriage brings out the mats. Woo! Anybody say amen to that? If you didn't have mats before you got married, you find out, my God, I got a whole closet full of mattresses. Why? Because the closer you get to somebody, the more they begin to reveal their internal struggles. And then you begin to find out what's really going on inside. And you find, wait a minute, I didn't realize I had some areas in my life that I had shut off. I had some areas in my life that I had become powerless, that I can't. And whether it's a friendship, a relationship, a marriage, whatever it is, those areas begin to expose those things in our life that have become dead or numb or paralyzed. And we def- we, we are become, we've become totally trapped on this mat. I find it unique. We find many cases in Scripture where there was lame that cried out to Jesus. We find many cases that Jesus walked by someone and the Bible simply just says he was moved with compassion. 
and healed them. We find in places where the Bible says he just healed the multitude, meaning he just came into a room, there were so many sick, he just healed everybody. But in this case, why wasn't this man in a place for that to happen? We don't know, we can only speculate. But somewhere along the line, he hadn't been able to get in a place where he could find God. He had been separated by God from his situation, but he couldn't find a place. He couldn't get in the place where he could find God and let God do something in his life. And he, I don't know somewhere along the line, if you think you've been in that situation long enough, there's got to be a point in time where you start to lose hope. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I would... I would venture to say there are some of you here today that there are things in your life you have lost hope of them ever changing. Your attitude and your thought is, well, this is just the way it is. It's the way it's always going to be. Or how about this, right? This is my lot in life. Or how about this one? It's my cross to bear. Really what you're saying is you've given up hope that it's going to change. You've given up hope that it's ever going to get better. And this is just the way it is. And I just got to learn to to just deal with it. Forgive me for saying it so boldly. I just got to suck it up. That's very spiritual sounding. I just got to suck it up and just, just live with it. They say when life gives you lemon, make lemonade. Sometimes I don't even have a glass. I can't make lemonade. I don't have a glass. It's just life, man. I want to make lemonade. I don't have water. I don't have sugar. I don't have a glass. I just got a mess. I just got lemons all over the place. I got nothing to do with them. And you can try to make the best out of a bad situation, and you can do that, and you can convince yourself, and you can try to make yourself feel better, but deep down inside, there's a loss of hope. There's a loss of a, of a hope that it's ever going to change. And then you just feel even more trapped in where you are. And then that mat begins to define you. That mat begins to, begins to become what you're known by. Oh, that's the guy. We didn't know his name. We didn't know, hey, that was John. That was, that was, that was uh, Bill. We just know he was the paralytic man. We didn't even know his name. He had become so attached and so defined by his condition, the Bible didn't even tell us his name. It just told him his condition. There are several cases where the Bible at least gives us the name of somebody, but in this situation, it doesn't even tell us. It just tells us its condition. Because, got to be honest with you, sometimes that's all we know about ourselves is just the condition that we're in. Here's this guy. This is his life. This is his definition. You ever bought anything as is? That's a risky thing. (laughs) Buying it as is. Meaning there are some things in an as is that are undiscovered yet. You can buy a house as is. There are some men in here that are investors. They buy foreclosed houses. They don't even get to see the house. They don't get to go inside. They buy it as is. There could be no walls, no floor, nothing in the house. They just buy it as is. 
Now, I don't know of anybody in here today that really wants to buy. Now, there's some of us, you know, we got some yard sailors in here. I don't know who you are, but I know there's got to be at least a few. 6 a.m. warriors on Saturday going out to find that treasure in the trash. <laughs> Bargaining over those nickels and dimes. 25 cents, I'll take it for 15. Come on, 10, 10. Come on, 10 cents. Come on, 10, 10. Bought it for $30, but 10 cents to you. What a deal. But the idea is that there's no return policy at a yard sale. There's no exchange rate. You don't get a receipt. It's buying it as is. And we understand when you buy something as is, you know you're going to discover some things along the way that may have to be addressed. You understand that. But I don't know of anybody that really would prefer to buy something as is when you can get really something for new. Most, some cases you may want, but, but you want a new thing. But you know what? I'm so thankful today that God bought me as is. He bought me as is. When he walked on the shelf and saw Joe Wright, and he knew because he knows the in from the out, when he looked in there, he knew, boy, there's some stuff in there we're going to have to deal with. But he said, you know what? Get it straight. I'll come back and I'll get you. But he said, I'm going to buy you as is, knowing, knowing in me. I had some trash. I had some mats. I had some junk. But yet he loved me to look beyond my fault and see my need. I love the scripture. It says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, meaning he did not get on that cross and see you for your best, but he got on that cross and looked at you at your worst. When he looked at you and he saw you and looked out over the pages of eternity and he saw you and I, he did not see us in this room with our hands raised, looking all good with our suits and our our beautiful outfits on, looking so pristine. He looked at us and saw us at our worst. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Bought me as is, but he loves me too much to keep me as is. God loves you today, my friend. All of you in this room, the Bible's so clear about this. God loves you just like you are. But can I be honest with you? He loves you too much to leave you like you are. But here's the problem. We acknowledge there's things in us. We acknowledge there's some things, but we just talk to the fact we don't have the power to change it even if we want to. Well, you know what? There's some good news today because we can find in this scripture some really awesome things that can help us and make this a better day for you. And that's the fact is he got around some fellas that had some faith. He got in the right place because you see when they climbed up on top of that roof and they peeled back the layers of that roof and they raised down and they all got down in that roof. Jesus' first words to them wasn't, hey, This guy's got some faith. His words, and we read them when we opened up, was seeing their faith. Seeing their faith. Not just his faith, their faith. There's something that happens when faith Meets love. When faith meets love, because you've got to imagine, 
How much did those guys love him that day? We don't know if they were his brothers. The Bible didn't mention that. I'd, I'd kind of hard to believe that they would be, they would be his, his family, the way they were referenced in the story, that they were friends enough, they loved this guy enough that they were willing to go to that length to get him to the place where he could get some help. Notice, if you go back, this, this story is in three different Gospels. It's in Mark 2, Matthew 9, and Luke 5. And the Bible tells us in, in, in some of the passages that who was in the house. You know who was in the house? The religious. The Bible talks about that there were people in the house. There were Pharisees gathered around. You know what? They got to church early. They got an up-close seat. They wanted to make sure they were right next to Jesus so they could be the star student. They didn't even acknowledge to him that there may be people that needed him that day. They didn't even acknowledge the fact that there was a hurting world outside those doors that needed Jesus. All they wanted to do was just be there so they could be up front and say, Hey, Jesus, I'm here. But there were four men that found a hurting man and went to great lengths to find him and bring him and put him in that put him in that house and drop him down. And the Bible says when Jesus saw it, he said, there is great faith here. When he saw their faith. Notice this, when he did what? What was that word? It's a three-letter word. Saw, whoa, whoa, time out. I thought faith was something that happens in here. Whoa, time out. He, he did what to their faith? You mean to tell me that faith should be visible? Woo! We're about to take a hard left turn. You better get your seatbelt on. You're going to miss it. Wait a minute. I, I thought faith is just something that happens in your heart. I have faith. Can you see it? Wait a minute. He didn't say he perceived. He perceived what they were saying about him, and he addressed that. So Jesus obviously had the ability to perceive what was going on. He didn't say, and Jesus perceived in their heart their great faith. He said when he saw, woo, eyeballs, saw their faith. That means faith needs to have a visible, outward representation of an inward action. Because James said, faith without works is dead. When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw, can I be honest with you? I can tell today, and I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just stating facts. When you do this long enough, you just, this, some things you just, you don't need God to tell you, you can just see it. There, you can watch people sometimes and you can know their faith. I don't see anybody in here doing it, so I don't want to offend anybody. Okay, watch. How much faith do I have? Check my email real quick. Hold on one second. There's no faith there. I don't see anybody doing this. If you do this, please don't get offended. I've watched people knit in church. Okay, we have some knitters in church. Oh, God. <laughs> I get it, there may be sometimes you just have an itch. But if faith is a visible thing, 
What are you showing? What are you showing? Because I had to be honest with you. If God is in this place today, and I believe He is, and I believe there are those of you, we agree, God's in this place today. It's not because we're special, but the Bible says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst. He's here. If God is in here today, and God is able to do the impossible, and God's able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, if God's able to do that, then what are you showing Him in this place? If you're in here today and you need something from God and you're tired of living on your mat, then can He see your faith? I'm not saying you got to get up and you got to get on the stair. You got to get on the chair and say, Hey, hey God, I got faith. I'm not saying that. That's what I'm trying to say. But is there something in you that's showing God? You know what? I know that you're in this place and I know that you're able to do something in my life today. You see, the beauty of this is when he didn't have all the faith he needed, he got in the atmosphere where there was faith. Because you know what? Faith is contagious. Faith is contagious. Because when I get around people with faith, I start to believe. When I get around doubters, I start to doubt. So when I get around people that have faith, when I get around somebody like Mother Owens that got some faith, all of a sudden, her faith, it just starts to creep up on me and I start to get some faith. get around people with faith I start to believe because you know what there are times I don't have the faith I need there are so times I get tired of my mat and I don't believe I can ever get on this mat but I need somebody that has love and faith that can come by and say listen I know you've been on that mat for a long time but we serve a God that's able to do the impossible He found some men that day. There were some men in that place that day that had that man that said, listen, I know you can't do it on your own, but we're going to join together and we're going to get to Jesus together. Oh, God, if we're ever ever known by anything, if we ever have a reputation, if if anybody ever talks about Antioch West, I hope they describe it as a place. If you need to find God and you need, there's a group of people in that place that if you come in there with a need, their love for God and their faith to God is going to help you get to Jesus. those that were sitting at his feet that were so religious and were so caught up at being at the feet of Jesus that we forget the hurt and the pain and the difficulty of those that are outside the house of those that are in their place and they can't get up and they got no power to get up and they're trapped in their life that we're so religious that we miss the fact of the hurting There are people that day that saw the bigger picture because Jesus said, I've come to seek and save. Jesus said, I've come to a lost and dying in a hurting world. 
I've come to seek and to find the hurting. I've come to be moved by the compassion. But you know what? He sometimes needs somebody that will be with him. That he doesn't have to do it on himself. Somebody that will be the representation of Jesus Christ. He said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Sometimes he needs your hands. He needs your feet. He needs your mouth. He needs your eyeballs. He needs your ears to be the representation. To say, listen, John. Listen to me, man. I know you're going through a lot. But i got to tell you this. Jesus loves you. And Jesus can do what you need. But here's the problem. And I, I, I finalize with this. I'm done. Here's the big issue. There's a step from the mat to the miracle. There's a place between the mat and the miracle. And that space is a space of vulnerability. That place between the mat and the miracle is a place of vulnerability. Because I've got to be honest with you today, if I'm that guy... <laughs> and I'm on, my, I'm on my bed and they're lowering me down. I got to trust they're not going to drop me. Because you drop me from the floor, I may bounce once, that's okay. But you drop me from a roof. Not only that, but I've got to be dropped into a crowd of people that may look at me, may question what's wrong with him. They may even make fun or ridicule me. And I've got to be willing to get vulnerable for a moment to go from the mat to the miracle. I've got to be willing to let my guard down enough because you see, most of us that are on our mat, we've learned to keep our guard up. But in order for God to do something in our life, it requires a time of vulnerability where we let our mat down and say, God, I'm willing to let you in where I've let nobody in. And if you're not willing to go from the mat to the miracle through the road of vulnerability, you'll never see God do something in your life. If you want God to give it to you in a nice pretty package where nobody's going to see and nobody's going to know, but it's going to happen in this little private bubble, it may not happen that way. Because sometimes it takes a moment of vulnerability. Sometimes there's nothing, 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 nothing. Can I just say this really quickly? There's nothing in Scripture that says something magical happens up here. Ooh, spooky. Ooh. The Bible says God abides in all space and all time, meaning there's just as much God here as there is back there. There's as much God sitting where you are as right here. It doesn't like we come here before service with a bunch of oil. Okay, God, we need you all up here in this. This is not holy carpet. In fact, I don't even know. Don't we like somehow rotate the carpets? So that might be the holy carpet this week. I have no idea. There's nothing special about this area up here that only God works. However, there is some visibility to what I do when I'm able to allow myself to get vulnerable enough to get out of where I am, to get vulnerable enough, whether it's here, over there, back there, to allow some vulnerability in my life so I can go from the mat to the miracle. And I can come... When I, when I was carried in here, I could walk out. When I had to be carried in here, I could walk out of here. But I've got to have 
a moment of vulnerability where I'm able to let my guard down just enough. I'm able to take that risk. Maybe someone looking at me, questioning what's really wrong with them. Or better yet, the worst part in church, because we all know it happens, when people know what's wrong with you. Because you all know there ain't nothing, ain't no secret safe in church. Nothing. And it's one thing when no one knows it. But it's another thing when everyone knows, yeah, I know what they've been in. Oh, my goodness. And you, yeah, they need to get up there. They better run. At the stuff they did, they better get up there. We need a whole gallon of oil on you. But you know what? There's something in that moment of vulnerability from the mat to the miracle. There's a vulnerability that's filled with faith. He's coming up to get it right now. That's it, brother. Receive it. He's the first partaker of the fruit right there. Hey, hey, wait a minute. They say, a little child shall lead them. Hold on just a second. Come here, buddy. Hey, look. He didn't care what you thought about him. He didn't care what your opinion about him was. He just came on up. But we get too sophisticated. We don't want anybody to know. But except you become as little children. Ah, boy. You're trying to help me preach, right? Give me a high five. Helping me preach. You want to help me preach today? Look, he didn't even care. He didn't care what you thought about him. He didn't care if he was out of order. He didn't care if you thought he was crazy. He just was going up. You know what? You can stay in your adult sophistication and you can stay in your adulthood doubt, but I'll keep my childlike faith. And you know what? You can sit there. Ooh, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want anybody to think. Or you can just say, you know what? I need something. And there's an answer. And I don't care what anybody thinks or what they did. But I know there's an answer. And I can't stay on this mat one more day. But I know there's a God that's able to get me off this mat. And I don't care what you think about me, what you may say, or how you may act. I know there's an answer that I need to get. And I need to get it today. All right. Chris, if you, Chris, if you'd come, here's the problem today. Listen, most of the time, most of the time we do this, it's a solitary journey. But today I don't want it to be a solitary journey. Today it's not about a single lonely walk, but today is about a group of people in an atmosphere of people they were able to see God do something in this place today that will have eternal consequences and will have eternal ramifications I believe today if it's just one that's okay I believe today there are people that you that you were carried in here but you're going to walk out I have some people I know it's a deal today that you're going to leave you're going to be like that man you're going to leave your mat at this place that what you came in here today defined by that when you leave out of this place you will no longer be defined but there's a place between the mat and the miracle that you got to be willing today to be a little vulnerable 
Would you stand with me today? I know a lot of you, there are guests here today. There are some of you that are members of other churches, and I understand there's a little bit of a, there's a, little bit of a cross over here, and I, and, and I understand that. But I, here's what I feel to do. If you join with us, that's great. If you don't, that's okay as well. There's no pressure on anybody. But we're just, in a minute, we're going to reach over to the person next to us. We're just going to say, look, let's go to Jesus together. This today is not about somebody's decision on their own. It's not about a solo decision where you have to stand there and you think, well, am I going to be the only one? Everybody's coming today. Just like that group that day that everybody got a hold. Four men helped one man out. But today we're all going to say, you know what? Let's all go to Jesus. And I believe today in that act of faith that Jesus will look down in this place and say, I can see the faith of the people question today is can God see your faith and if so what are you doing to show your faith it's not about it's not about your over exuberant actions and all of that it's, it's not about manufacturing something but the Bible says that there should be some kind of outward representation of what's happening inside me so it shouldn't just be something that, that is just internal. But he said, I saw their faith. I could see their faith. Your faith today may simply be just opening up your mouth and talking or calling his name. Jesus. 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 That may be your faith today. It doesn't have to be crazy faith. It doesn't have to be radical faith. You don't have to jump around, spin, swirl. Pump. It may not be that today. That may not be your faith, but maybe your faith today is just simply saying the name Jesus. 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 I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, would you go with me? Let's go to Jesus together. Come on, grab somebody and bring them down here. Come on. It's not about the front today, but it's about the fact. Let the Lord lead you. Go find somebody near you. Let the Lord lead you. Let the Lord lead you today. Go find somebody. We're not going to pray yet. We're just going to come down here. We're just gathering. We're not going to pray yet. We're just going to gather together. But grab somebody. Come on. Make some room. We need some room. Don't stop there now. I'll keep on coming. Praise God.